0: Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media.
1: Welcome, everybody. Uh, Today, I will be speaking to Wes Spencer. Wes is actually a nationally recognized technology innovator and cybersecurity expert. He has served as a senior executive and advisor for, for Fortune 500 to venture capitalist-backed startups and was awarded the 2020 Cybersecurity Educator of the Year by the Cybersecurity Excellence Awards. He is dynamic and frequently requested professional conference speaker. Uh, he also has some nice, uh, amusing videos online. Uh, I encourage everybody to, to watch some of them. Uh, he also served on multiple advisory committees uh, with distinguished organizations such as American Bankers and One, uh, FS-ISAC. He currently serves on the Department of Homeland Security AIS, uh, and is active in the uh, STIX uh, working group to continue and drive in driving automation standards t- into the the threat in gel- intelligence sharing and community. Um, I think by, profesh- by profession Wes is the CISO for secu- security is also the co-founder which is uh, um, that's a unique position and I'm, I'm hoping we can gain a lot of insight f- from insights from Wes uh, and you know having, having given like uh, a very I would say rudimentary introduction and probably I butchered some of it maybe you could step in and, and, and introduce yourself Wes.
0: Yeah. So Ben, thanks for having me on. And I think you got the most important part. I, I like to make funny videos uh, on on LinkedIn, especially, and, and also on YouTube. I spend uh, probably more time than than I should on that. But uh, yeah, so hey, my name is Wes, and I think you got all that other stuff right. Um, I am definitely have been in security for a really long time. I'm very, very passionate about it, and really especially passionate, Ben, about just communicating cybersecurity concepts Um, towards everybody, whether you come from a cybersecurity background or not, um, because we all know in this age, uh, it's really, really important that we do have a conduit and a way to communicate and bring cybersecurity and its strategy all the way into the boardroom. It shouldn't just be, you know, the nerds and the neckbeards talking about security. Um, So, yeah, so really glad to be with you. And thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. And thank you for taking the time. I know everybody's very busy nowadays. Um, I usually like to start off with a couple uh, of icebreaker questions. Uh, if you're willing to share, could you tell us about your marital status?
0: Yeah, so uh, happily married, thank- thankfully. Uh, I've got uh, a wife and four kids and uh, stay pretty busy, especially with the pandemic. Uh, you know, we can sometimes have a noisy house. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yep, I stay busy with that and located in Tampa, Florida. So uh, we try to hit the beach as much as we possibly nice. can as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, nice. I I think the Florida beaches are much more accommodating than the California beaches. Uh, I know here we have like uh, giant waves and killer waves and, you know, the ocean is freezing. I'm assuming from what I remember, the the ocean in Florida is a bit nicer.
0: Yeah, it's Uh, good for kids for sure. Yep, you're not really going to surf very much unless the hurricane's coming in. But uh, yeah, other than that, it's nice.
1: Great. And what would you say your favorite drink is?
0: Man. So, you know, I was thinking about this. I, I'll go with two. So I, I am a fan of like sparkling waters. I've always got one of these. And, you know, it, it seemed like in the old days, Ben, you had like one variety. And now I go to the store and there's like, you know, a whole shelf full of every different flavor. And so I'm always picking a different one, but I love those. Um, on the other side of the house, though, so I'm, I'm actually from Kentucky. Uh, so if it, in the U.S. So if you're not familiar with Kentucky, it's sort of the home of bourbon. Suburban, and so I yeah. am Yes, I'm a huge bourbon fan right over in the other room. I've got a big shelf. I'm a collector more than I'm a drinker, actually, uh, but I love an old-fashioned. Uh, that is definitely my favorite go-to drink.
1: Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually a single malt kind of guy, but I did start to experiment with uh, several bourbons lately.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, and you know, I, I had to, to learn about the difference. I'm, I'm not sure I I know the difference. uh, I don't know that anyone truly uh, knows
0: the difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's based out of rye instead of, 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 of barley, I want to say, but I'm not sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. so bourbon has to be 51% corn or more. Um, it has to be at least in the mash bill, and then it has to be aged for three years in charred new oak barrels. That's another rule. has to be made in the U.S. A lot of people think it has to be made in Kentucky, but that's not true. Um, has to be in the U.S. I think there's a couple other rules to it as well, but as far as like the barley and rye and wheat mixes, you can play with those, but it has to be 51% corn.
1: okay, okay guess you learn something new every day. Uh, That's
0: right. If you learn nothing else on the podcast, at least that. And I probably yeah. missed some other details, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: let's dive right in. Um, so and, and, as I told you, I'm going to run you through a series of questions. And, you know, basically the, the main goal here is to allow some insight for our listeners into the minds of the CISO, learning more about the the, the path that led them through led them to that specific role. Uh, like obstacles a- along the way, uh, best resources, and you know. And if and we'll talk a bit about vendor management as well, uh, because I know th- this is a big issue. Um, but let's get started. What What's the one thing you wish you'd known before you begin your career?
0: You know, I, I went into security because as a kid, I was very curious by nature. And um, this is before, you know, internet was just emerging. I, I, I'm i very unique in that I remember pre-internet and post-internet, you're probably the same age as well, Ben, is not a lot of people really, yeah. we're, my kids today just grown up with it. The iPad always has internet wherever they go. And I grew up, you know, the days before computers had it and the days after, and so I was naturally curious as a kid and was, you know, played around like Sub7 and NetBus and a lot of those hack tools growing up and never, you know, never really saw anything wrong with any of that. And, (laughs) um, you know, for me, I I went into cybersecurity for the same reason, like, oh, technical, technical is so fun. I want to like do more hacking stuff. And what I didn't realize was security. I wish I had known much more about um, the interpersonal side. Like there's too many cybersecurity people that are so extremely technical, they can't communicate. And that's why they're always relegated down in the organization and don't typically get the buy-in and the support that they need. And so I've only learned that over the past, maybe five or six years of my career. And I wish I had known that from the beginning because I think that's a really important um, differentiator that's missing from a lot of security professionals.
1: And and would you say this is just a follow up question about this? Would you say that the market uh, has matured in in a way that you know from from what I remember, you know, at some point uh, information security, uh, you know, what was uh, was called cyber security, and and but when it was still called information security, it was considered as as you said as very technical, very network based and network oriented. At some point there was a shift around the application security when you know folks started to figure out that that's where most of the vulnerabilities lie. And, but at some point, you know, uh, it became more of a business, uh, more of a business challenge. And actually, I think nowadays, that's my perspective. I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm correct on, on that. I think nowadays it's more of a business position.
0: It really is. Um, It's become something that is absolutely a business strategy at the very top, right? I remember when I first got to my bank, when I first took a bank job in in security, and initially before I came on board, the the large part of cybersecurity was relegated under physical security because the bank still kind of saw it as an offshoot and sort of saw it as, you know, the actual paper security and the paper processes that we have and the anti-fraud processes and cybersecurity is an offshoot. Well, fast forward to today, you know, one of the major risk drivers for any organization, especially private organizations, is ransomware. And ransomware is totally digital in its nature, right? And you're talking millions of dollars in damages in today's day. And so um, it, and it's not just ransomware, but I, I think you're exactly right. Cybersecurity has become its own thing. And there is still argument of like, do I call it information security or cybersecurity? And I'm a fan of cybersecurity because it does differentiate the fact that it is separate and different and commands its own requirements and its own um, addressable solutions. and needs to be a conduit all the way up to the board itself on um you know is is a is a is a view of risk of how we're handling and dealing with all this inside the organizations become separate in and of itself and it it needs to be that way for sure
1: yeah and we'll we'll touch a bit more about that uh, in one of the following questions Uh, but for now uh you know i always like to ask uh the the esteemed people i i interview uh like i'm trying to understand more about the path and you know in in from my personal, in my personal experience, like you learn, uh, you learn a lot from failures. Could you name or maybe talk a bit about your biggest failure and what did you learn from it?
0: Yeah, I, so I like the question. I, I struggle with these questions. Like what's your greatest accomplishment or greatest failure or whatever. I really struggle with those. Sometimes I feel like it's, you know, the moment of the day, but a couple of things stand out to me. Um, one is just like career pathway and career decisions. I will say, so I initially took a job for a very small company right out of college. And and honestly, I wish I had flipped that. And I wish I had gone directly to like one of the biggest orgs I could find because I found it's easier to start somewhere really large and then go downward versus starting at a small org and then learning how bigger orgs work. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but um, that's one thing that I think if I had gone back, I probably could have built better experience and quicker and had more opportunities for like, you know, movement upwards in terms of like promotions and things like that. I really, really wish um, that I had done that. Uh, It's just something to throw out there for those that are like getting close to graduation or thinking about moving into cybersecurity and have multiple job offers on where to go. Um, I, I love, I don't, I'm not saying stay at a big org necessarily, but starting at big orgs can be very, very valuable. You just get so much more experience that I think sometimes you'd miss um, at, a, at a smaller org. Um, so that's kind of a, a weakness or a, a, maybe a failure. I wish i thought through. And the, the other thing that I would say is I wish I'd been more of a risk taker. Um, this is something I think the past five years of my life, I've really learned a lot about and just personal investing strategies and just who I am in my nature. But um, I, I think sometimes cybersecurity by nature, we're risk, we're, we're averting risk and we're managing risk for an organization that bleeds into our own personality of being not so willing to take a risk. And what I mean by that is Um, Not doing foolish things, but doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. So I start, for example, I started a YouTube channel, started getting very, very active on LinkedIn and just putting my voice out there. And I didn't even know what my voice exactly was, but I I wanted to communicate security in a fun, approachable way. And I never would have done that five years ago. So just learning how to take risks and do something different um, that you've never done before. I I wish I had done that sooner. Uh, That's something that uh, I always look back and be like, man, I wonder what my career would have been like had I done that in the earliest days.
1: Yeah, uh, and I agree. It's it's all about risk management, right? Uh, but, you know, touching back on the first uh, part of the answer, so would you say that uh, starting off your career, uh, potentially in, uh, in a corporate environment, would equip you with, like, better, better skills such as, I don't know, being able to be, uh, what's called corporate savvy or, uh, you know, learning more about uh, big systems and big, big organizations. And if I heard correctly, you're saying it might have been easier, you know, to learn and then scale down into, let's say, a startup environment. Is that correct? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, personally, I think so. Uh, I really do. Like, and again, hear me, there's nothing wrong with starting or even staying at smaller orgs. I mean, they're typically more nimble. Um, The argument can be made of like, well, at a smaller, I get to do little bits of everything, which is really true. Um, But what you miss, um, at least starting out, if I had to pick one starting out, I'd still go to a big org because what you miss is... Learning how things are done at scale and learning how um, all of these different divisions, even inside of cybersecurity, let alone IT, all kind of mission mashed together and work together as a, a larger comprehensive whole of things. It's just as an example, I remember, you know, coming out of college, we had one firewall. So never really had experience of like how do I manage a fleet of firewalls across geodisparate locations. Never had that experience, you know. My first few jobs out of out of college. I wish I did. So just examples like that. That um, I think big orgs are really nice. Now I get you can be buried in you know meetings and you feel like there's red tape and bureaucracy everywhere at bigger orgs. I understand that, but just at least a few years at a big org to get that experience is is really really good in my opinion.
1: Okay. Thank you for the for the clarification. And I know you said you don't really like those questions about biggest failure or biggest accomplishment. Could you name one of your uh, you know one of the accomplishment accompli- accomplishments? Yeah,
0: or? yeah. So um, again, you know, flavor of the day sometimes for me, but um, maybe a few things just professionally speaking. Um, so one was being elected to you mentioned the FSISAC. That's like a nonprofit cyber threat sharing group. And, and these are international, by the way. They kind of started in the US, but they've really become very international in their approach. And think of those as just um, nonprofit cyber threat sharing groups that are made up of members in an industry. So FSISAC was is like the financial services information sharing and analysis center. So banks all over the world sharing cyber threats with each other, you know, this idea of birds of a feather flock together and the threats that one bank sees are probably similar to the threats other banks see. And I would say one of my um, accomplishments there that just was very, very humbled by um, was the opportunity I got elected as the member chair for um, all banks and credit unions 20 billion in assets and down it was like a big subdivision of about 4000 banks. And that was a huge leadership opportunity and position that I, that I was elected for and was really one of the key kind of trajectories in my career that really built so many other things. And the only way that happened um, was less about me and more about just being collaborative with peers and um, having great conversations and networking and building trust relationships and helping others in their journey that paid dividends back because when those election cycles were open, they nom- a number of people nominated me and they said, we'd love for you to lead. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I, I, to me that was a really, really big deal. There's probably other things I can point to, but um, I'd say over the past five years, that's probably one of the greatest.
1: Yeah, and you know, I feel that a, a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of professionals do not necessarily understand the value of. Being a part of a strong community and a strong network because as you said, I mean this wouldn't have have happened if if you didn't have those those connections in place and this network and you were and you you were not willing to to help along the way and you know it, as you said at, at one point it, it does pay dividends
0: yeah. Um, Yeah, you're right. Because, you know, Ben, we're all in this together. I say this all the time. I feel like I'm a broken record. But, you know, in cybersecurity, I remember learning this at my bank, you know, banks may compete in rates and products and services and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we're on the security side of the house, we're all in this together. We face a common enemy uh, that wants to go after all of us and we do stick and work together. It's very much like in nature, you watch a nature documentary and you see a herd of, you know whatever animal it is, antelope, buffalo, whatever, and they move together in packs and groups because they're stronger together as a whole. And when a predator can separate one of them, especially ones that are laggards, like older, younger, uh, th- those are the ones they isolate and attack. And we've seen in nature, we stick together. And I think in cybersecurity, there's a lesson learned for us in that, in that the more we stick together and work together in a group mentality, the stronger we all are. Okay.
1: And, you know, I'm wondering what would be your, the, the answer to my next question, but because I think you've answered it, um, but you provide two different answers. So the question is, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Now, I, I think I know the answer, but I would like to. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I, you know, I, I would say, so I, I get asked that question a lot and it's a great one. Um, one of those things is you have to understand who you are as a person. What are you bent towards? What do you really, really, really like? I'll run into some cybersecurity people and they're like, look, all I ever want to do is sit behind a chair and like, you know, write code and do like app sec and dev work, or, you know, um, you know, I want to do pin testing or whatever it may be. And then you have others that are like, no, 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 I want to lead. I want to be out front. I want to, you know, get into a managerial position. I want to be a CISO like you one day. Um, I think regardless of, where you want to go in that trajectory. One of the things that's important for security people is having a technical background. We have way too many people in security that, and I'm not calling out anyone in specific, but just box checking, right? Just what does the Excel spreadsheet say? I got to check that box without any like critical thinking. And so I believe uh, no matter who you are, coming from a technical background as you get into cybersecurity is really, really important. Whether you want to stay technical or not, like that's my big piece of advice is go do and learn something technical. Like even today, I do technical things. You know, I did last week. I spent time on some deep fake algorithms, been very interested in how deep fakes work. And so I've got a couple of algorithms. I got a training set and I'm running a couple of different videos. I actually did a a very poor LinkedIn video last week on that. Uh, But I try to stay technical even though my job is very non-technical because it keeps my skills up and it keeps me relevant and it keeps that command and understanding of the industry that I don't wanna lose. And so that's a big piece that I would recommend to anyone is, is get technical and learn some technical things regardless of where you want your career to go. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, and and thank you for that. Um, And I know uh, you've held a a few positions and you know, there's always the tension between uh, CISOs reporting to leadership as opposed to CISOs reporting to an IT uh, function such as the CIO or CTO. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So I have some very, very uh, strong thoughts on it. So um, I don't think I'll ever be a CISO ever again where I report to a CIO. Um, That's a hard and fast rule for me personally. I'm not saying that it can't be done. There are situations where it can be done if you have a CIO that ultimately doesn't just Say that they care about security, but it needs to be in the job role and responsibilities as well. Like, you know, if that CIO has KPIs of like, you know, hey, we want to make sure this year your incentive package is based upon zero breaches. You know, if your organization has a breach, your incentive package is out the door. Like, you could do things like that that would make me feel like that CIO has skin in the game. But most of the time, it's not that way, is it? Security under a CIO typically means that it is an offshoot and it is a branch of, and it is to be managed by the IT org. And the IT org is primarily concerned with uptime. It's primarily concerned with resiliency of services and keeping things alive. And security is only there when it's able to be done. Now, conversely, though, you don't want cybersecurity to be something that is that drives the org so much that we are so secure that we're not usable and we we can't get anything done. You you don't want the flip side either. And so, you know, I think, Ben, like the way I like to uh, like analogize it is cybersecurity should be guardrails on the highway, not roadblocks. Right. Mm-hmm. What we don't want it to do is so um, strict in what we're doing that we, we simply can't guide the org. What we should have is, okay, so the org wants to do ABC XYZ or the IT org wants to invest in these things. Great. How can security come along and guide that discussion and do it the best way possible? Not stop it, not roadblock it, but guide it. Um, Those are things I think are really, really important for us. And so I typically think, just to say it, if a CISO reports to a CIO, you're you're just going to run into those conflicts of interest. And you're even seeing that, at least here in the U.S. where I'm familiar, you're even seeing that in like banking regulations. You talk to regulators and they begin to have a very keen eye on the security people reporting up through IT. And I will tell you, when most banks hit roughly around a billion in assets, you will see the banking regulators say no more. We want to see the security people at least report to like audits or risk or even ideally to the CEO and then have a direct conduit up to the board. And so you're even seeing that in regulatory circles in the U.S. and probably other countries as well, um, but, but for all of those reasons. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you. That's, that was very insightful. Uh, and, you know, being uh, in cybersecurity for so many years now, um, I'm assuming you're, uh, you know, as most of us are, uh, I'm assuming that you're a self-learner and that, you know, you you use all kinds of resources. Could you name a few resources that have helped you along the way?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I would say I'm a self-learner. And even I would actually say even more than that, I'm a peer learner. Um, The majority of what I've learned, you'll hear me like, if you could rewind the tape in my career, there's probably been many, many, many um, really important conversations I've had along the way and I end up parroting what other wiser people say like I truly believe you're not gonna hear a lot of things out of me that are so, um, you've never heard before. You, you won't hear that. I, I tend to be, when I hear things from my peers that are smarter than me, more experienced than me, have gone through situations that I've not gone through. I love having those conversations with others and then just learning from them. And so I typically am just a parrot of what others have told me um, that I've practiced and tried and true you know, in my own life. And so I would say, you know, it's less, for me, it's less about books you know, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go read a, you know, how to be a CISO kind of book. I'd rather sit under other people and learn from them and see what they've done. And so, you know, I can think of many, many people through my career, um, several people at the bank, one um, lady named Sally, who was our chief operations officer, just watching how she led, watching how she had command. And she didn't use her authority in ways that are like, you know, barking and commanding orders. She just led by um, really, really solid work in what she did. And everyone wanted to, no one wanted to fail her. Um, Not because she would yell at you, but because we wanted to make sure that we held up, you know, the standard that she set. So things like that have been really pivotal. And then just peers, like peer groups that I've been in, especially FSISAC that I mentioned before, just learning from my actual peers. What are you doing? What's working for you? What have you failed in lately? Um, What are the, you know, don't do this because here's what happened to me when I did it. Those are the things to me are just so, so valuable. And so I do think getting into peer groups especially inside your industry are a solid way to really continue to grow and hone your skills.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, we, we've spoken a bit about the, like the tension between, um, CISOs and the IT and we've spoken about, uh, like the maturity of, of CISOs nowadays. Is there any one common myth about the profession that you wanted to debunk?
0: Let's see here. Um, Man, sometimes I wonder how many of them are actually true. (laughs) Um, I I think uh, in terms of like security as a whole versus maybe CISOs, if we split those two out, right? So, you know, I think one of the myths in security is that these security nerds have it all together. And that security guys and gals um, truly understand what's going on in the org, in the industry. I think if you were to be really honest with them and you were to, like, put the truth serum in them, they would probably tell you they worry more than anybody else in the org. When they see these breaches happen, they think, same thing could have happened to me. Like if like literally because I just was either lucky and not being targeted or something went my way, that's the only reason my org is not in the news whereas a you know a fellow brother or sister in the industry is. like that's a truth. Um, I think sometimes we do try to give off that persona that we have it all together and we know what we're doing. but let me tell you I have worked with I, at least 50 organizations that have been go- that have gone through a breach and they're in incident response mode and the thing that I hear most often from them is, I had no idea this could happen to me. Uh, I, I had no idea what was happening to me. I was blind to it. Um, so I think there's that. Like we, we tend to wanna to act like we have it all together, but in reality we don't. And we face an insidious bad guy um, or bad gal, whoever they may be, um, that truly, truly knows what they're doing. And in many cases they have the, the, the attacker's advantage and they have the leverage. And so I just, you know, I think there's some, some myth there that sometimes we security people have it all together and then our mouths go agape. when like, I can't believe that happened to that org. How could that have happened to them? Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't think that's great. And I'm not saying we should have a defeatist mentality. But I do think this something I preach a lot is this idea of assumed breach mentality, of like talking to your organization like, hey, if we haven't had a breach yet, it's coming. Let's stop thinking about how do we ensure we never get hit by something and start thinking about resiliency to say mm-hmm. when it happens, how do I respond to it in a way that I can eliminate and reduce that risk when it does happen?
1: Yeah. Correct, Uh, uh, I totally agree with that. Um, And you know, my next question is about uh, the main concerns of a a CISO nowadays. Would you say that the the previous answer answer answered this as well, or did you wanna add here? Well,
0: it's an offshoot of all of that, right? It's sort of this idea of my number one job as a CISO is having the real conversations with my board To truly communicate where we're at from a risk perspective, right? Like it is not about I got to get a budget for a new firewall, or I need to get approval for new EDR, or whatever it may be. That's not the job and the role of the CISO. The CISO's role is to communicate risk and to truly make sure that from the strategy side of the house, they've got the buy-in and the support that they need to be able to address those risks and continue to handle them and mitigate them and address them and even accept some risks where they lie. Um, I remember often in front of my board. the bank, especially having these communications with them of like, hey, look, here are all the things we've done this quarter around cybersecurity. Here's the gaps. Here's the assessments. Here's what we have as an outlook. Here's where the budgets are. But I just want to communicate to you, this is still a very high risk item for us, just cybersecurity as a whole. And I don't want you thinking that all the things that we've done this quarter are going to make sure a breach doesn't happen. It could still happen. And the reason I would do that is because I want them when the inevitable breach does happen, I don't want them to point their finger at me and say, Wes, how could you have let this happen? I thought this wasn't supposed to happen. That's the role of the CISO is to manage that expectation and communicate it through risk.
1: Yeah and I and I think it's very different nowadays if you compare it to let's say 10 15 years ago. Yes. When board and leadership were not as I- integrated into the the risks aspect of information security or cyber security, you know, they I, I mean th- this is my personal opinion, right, but I think back then they were regarding information security as <clears throat> as an IT issue right. and you know assuming, you know, yeah, we have a new firewall in place um uh, so so we should be good, right? We we just did a, a pen test, so we should be covered. Um and, and yeah, I think you know, I think that difference between setting up uh, you know, taking some security uh initiatives and, and doing some activities as opposed to having uh, a security program or a compliance that integrate compliance and cybersecurity risks. I think that's where you know, and, and at some point leadership understood that they were under the gun as well especially with, you know, with socks and, and all kinds of, of regulations. I think that, will, that uh, initially d- drove the change. That, that's my, my interpretation. Agreed.
0: Very much agreed.
1: Okay. Um, could you share a bit about your daily routine?
0: Yeah. So, you know, today uh, my routines changed a little bit. So, um, so I, I, I am always concerned because I work for a software company. And you look at some of the things that have happened in software, especially of of late, you look at the SolarWinds breach, and you look at how the supply chain um, was, SolarWinds was sort of the central um, avenue, vector of attack for a, a massive supply chain breach. Wow. That's scary to me, right? As any software CISO should tell you that's something that you should be very, very concerned about is how does our code, it's not just about designing secure code, but even protecting our code repositories. And how do we make sure that we do that through the entire process? So it, it, you know, I would say recently, that's a big part of where my job is focused on is what does secure code by design look like? What are the processes for all of that? How do we make sure we build and check out and review code? And and look for vulnerabilities in code, but also how do we protect those repositories and all of the engineering work that goes into a complex software system like ours right so those are things that are really 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 important to me, Um, but I also noticed for me um, working for a vendor is also learning how to communicate cybersecurity to clients that has become something that I think I very much enjoyed. And it's even an extension of what we're doing today is I love these conversations about security because it's always my hope that somebody that's less technical listens to some of this and says, Whoa! I've learned some new things. I've learned some questions to ask, and I've learned some things to look at for my own organization to help my organization be more secure. I think that's what it really is all about. And we need more security practitioners that do have the mouth and the 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 the, the desire to go out to the community around them and communicate how important all of this is. So that's 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 where I spend a lot of my time. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, you know, p- putting yourself in the shoes of a vendor. Uh, what's the the commitment uh, that you made for that you make for yourself not to ever do?
0: Uh, ooh, what a great question um, that I've com- that I would never do. Okay, here's something, yeah. you know. So I, I don't I, I don't care where I work; it won't be there forever. So for me, my name and my reputation matters much more than a quick dollar. Does that make sense? And so sometimes, let me pick on vendors for a minute. I think I'm more qualified to do this than most because I work for a vendor. Vendors are very prone to making these egregious statements filled with marketing and buzzwords that mean nothing and they communicate nothing other than, like I mentioned before, you know, this idea that we've got it all together and we don't. And then the breach happens. Everyone's like, what happened? So I'll give you examples of this. You know, when you see vendors say things like, you know, we have the latest AI that stops zero day threats before they occur. You just loaded that with like three or four buzzwords that in its essence doesn't really mean anything um, and, and doesn't communicate anything and causes market confusion. And it, to illustrate this even further, go to like RSA or Black Hat especially and walk through the vendor hall and look at all of my fellow vendors that have all of these statements that don't make a lot of sense. And you're like, well, how do I pick between that? And how do I demystify which one is doing from another? And so I just think that I I I really try to lead my org and say in, in making sure the messaging is crisp and clear of what we do. Even if it loses a sale to somebody that goes after the latest, greatest snake oil, AI, threaty threat, whatever it is, right? Because my reputation is, is at hand and I will not always be at the org I'm at today. And it could get worse if I go elsewhere. So those are things that are really important to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And talking a bit about vendors, uh, could you name uh, one or two most annoying sales speeches that you've encountered?
0: Oh, goodness, yes. Um, so uh, first of all, one of my annoying sales pitches is my dog barking in the background. You probably hear that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see, but that's, that's 2021, right, for us. Um, so, okay, a few things I could think of. You know, so oftentimes untargeted sales pitches that come in on LinkedIn. Um, They don't, you know, sometimes I can tell they don't even put a modicum of like research into me of like why this might be a solution that works for them. And I sort of understand it, you know, again, coming from a uh, vendor, I think I, I have some understanding that others may lack as CISOs. Um, you know, these poor salespeople, you know, they've got to get quota. They've got to, you know, so they're casting a wide net. They'd rather cast a wide net and catch only one and lose a thousand or 20,000 or 50,000. That's the nature and reality for them. Um, but what that means for us is we get these untargeted pitches that mean nothing, that just waste my time, that are really, really aggravating to me and, and really say nothing. And so I think, um, And so, you know, for for these salespeople that are casting this like really wide net, uh, it it is aggravating to us to receive these things that, you know, I'll get a pitch that comes in and they'll ask me something about, you know, hey, again, going back to that conversation about lots of buzzwords, you know, how are you stopping zero day threats with our, you know, with you look at our solution, it does, you know, something no one's ever done before. And I'm like... Well, I don't know, Are you ta- is this work on my users? Does this, is this like a UEBA thing? Is this a SIM? Is this looking at network data? Like you've told me nothing. And so unfortunately you're asking me to spend 10 to 30 minutes with you just to do discovery around something I have zero clue about the architecture itself and like what it addresses. I'm not going to give you 30 minutes of my time when you come at me with a, a very generic buzzword laden pitch that I just have to spend 30 minutes just to even vet if it's a solution I need or not. So what I would coach salespeople to do is treat security people like the humans they are. And it's fine if you want to talk about competitive differentiators and use a few buzzwords in there, but talk specifically about what it is. What category is it? are you in? What are you competing against? What are you solving for specifically? Even a few sentences like that will go a really long way in commanding a CISO's attention.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and can you share what it is that you are looking for in a the vendor then?
0: Uh, Good question. I think, again, it depends on, you know, what kind of gaps or things we're trying to solve for at the time, right? Like, uh, going back to, like I mentioned before, um, secure code design and, um, you know, making sure like what's happening in our GitHub repos, all that kind of stuff to me. That was a solution that we were um, very, very like. If if I had had someone come to me with a solution of, like, hey, look, you know, all all of your cloud data and not just like, um, like I mentioned before, like UEBA or like, um, you know, like uh, like a tool that would just crawl through like data classification. I don't mean that, but I mean like a tool that would specifically give me better guidance into the code we're writing, um, vulnerabilities that may exist there. Uh, and then on top of that, understanding configuration management in the cloud as a comprehensive ecosystem could be really useful to me because we're a nimble, small company. And so, you know, I can't spend a t- like a ton of time and doing all that by hand. It needs to be very, very automated for me. So that's something that, you know, I think would be important in this age of pandemic. Um, cloud and configuration management uh, and CASB kind of stuff is really, really, really important because I don't think we're going to have we're not going to see our users migrate back as much as we've ever had into like on-prem uh, resources anymore. I mean, cloud is the future for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And, and, you know, working with your peers and colleagues and you have a vast network, are there any uh, specific CISOs that you look up to?
0: Yeah, there's, there's quite a few that I, that I really look up to. So in um, some of them aren't CISOs per se, they're, um, there are just others like security researchers. Like there's a bunch on Twitter that I'll follow. Like uh, you know, like Malware Jake. Several of the the, the folks that are um, pretty popular, like Dark Reading. I, I do read Dark Reading quite a bit, and I've even produced some articles for them. Um, I like them a lot. Um, obviously Brian Krebs. I'm always following Brian Krebs, and he, he calls his brother from another mother Chris Krebs. Um, who ran CISA for a while, the the U.S. federal government cybersecurity agency, um, follow both of the Krebs quite a bit, and really respect what they uh, what they have to say, and I'm in some trust circles where there's some others, and I'm not sure that many of them would want me to say their names, so so maybe I'll, I'll leave that alone, but. Um, you know, multiple banking CISOs that are out there that I do still follow and communicate with quite a bit. And I have just found LinkedIn and Twitter are probably two of the best places for me to go to just continue to keep my ear to the ground of what's going on in the world around me from other thought leaders. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, and, and thank you for that. Is there any way, uh, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, is there So before we wrap this up with a couple of, uh, of quick questions, is there any way our listeners and, and potentially vendors can connect with you in a non-intrusive manner online?
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, at the risk of a sales pitch back to me, but I'm okay with that, right? I, 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 uh, I totally, like I said, I understand that world. So probably the two best places to stay in touch with me are LinkedIn, just search for me, West Spencer, I'll come right up. Um, would love to connect with you there, uh, for sure. And, uh, the other one is I'm actually very active in YouTube of all places. So you can just go to YouTube slash Wes Spencer, and you'll find me there as well. And I do a lot of stuff around like cybersecurity around cryptocurrency, believe it or not. I'm very, very interested in crypto. We haven't even talked about that in this interview. Um, and then also just being an entrepreneur. So those are probably the two best platforms that I communicate in the most.
1: Okay. And actually I have an, uh, an, an off script question here. Is there any way that you feel that you've been an entrepreneur has helped you fulfill your role of a CISO? Is there any? Are there any commonalities? Any you know? Ah, uh, yeah, basically any commonalities.
0: So there are. So again, CISOs. One thing that they typically lack is the high-level business strategy. What is it like to run a company? And and being an entrepreneur has taught me as I built, I built multiple companies um, ground up. So, I understand how they think. I understand like revenue projections and sales targets. I understand, um, you know, the, the regulatory things that are in place around all of the things that make a business tick and understanding, uh-huh. you know, a business strategy ultimately to get your company profitable, going from zero dollars into profitability. Those are things a board cares about. Now, cybersecurity is critical to that because a lack of cybersecurity can just shipwreck uh, all of that. But I think a lot of CISOs miss that idea of what it takes and what the board is thinking of, not just about cybersecurity, but the entire company. How do I keep this company alive? And how do I build it and grow it and generate revenue and, and all of the things that happen there? So yes, I actually think there's a huge correlation between the two. And mm-hmm.
1: you know, I think in my experience, interviewing a few seasons so far, I think uh, if I look back, I think the that have that were previously founders and entrepreneurs, are probably uh, i want to I, I don't want to say more successful but they're they hold they held uh, they hold very very prominent positions nowadays i think um okay um is there any like single most important thing to you in your career
0: here's one uh that i haven't mentioned but i've gotten kind of close to it never burn bridges uh never 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 burn bridges um, everybody will have somebody that does you wrong at some point in your career. Maybe multiple people at the same time. Um, never burn bridges. You never know in a connection that you know you could have burned through saying something to them and and you know getting that anger off your chest and you know ruining a relationship. You never know how that damages you in the future. And so I am a big believer of never, ever, ever burn bridges. I'm not saying don't have tough conversations. I think CISOs have to learn what it is, what a tough conversation is all about and to communicate clearly what your expectations are. And even when someone doesn't quite meet those for you, but never, never burn bridges. Um, That is a big thing that's been successful for me. And I I hope everyone listening, I hope I'm not listening to someone that says, well, Wes burned a bridge with me. I sure hope not. Uh, But I am a true believer in that. Um, never burn bridges continue to find ways to make things work and even if they don't um, you know sometimes speaking your mind it might feel good for the short term but it'll cause more damage long term Uh, so that's a just a big piece of advice I've lived by it's worked well for me
1: okay thank you and uh, before we we end this podcast um, just a quick uh, couple of questions if you have if you had unlimited funds what would you do with your life
0: I love that question. I've thought about this many, many, many times. Um, You know, I think it would trade between some things, right? Uh, One is I'd love to just travel all over. I'd probably start with getting an RV and just traveling the U.S. Uh, Then when that's over, um, then start traveling the world and hit up, you know, a whole bunch of places, you know, and just meet people I've never met, experience things I've never experienced, try foods I've never tried before. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, The other thing I think would be a lot of fun. So I have young kids and I'm always reading to them like kids books, Um, I think it'd be a lot of fun to be an author. Uh, I try not to take myself too seriously. I'm always kind of joking and playing around. And even on like LinkedIn, I, I try not to be too serious. So I think it'd be a lot of fun to like try my hand at even being a kid's author and spending some time like doing some fun kids books. My dad and I talk about that all the time, some silly things we would uh, we, we talk about. So I think that'd be a lot of fun as well. Um, and then maybe the third thing would just be involved in like charities and helping other people. Um, I do a lot of that. And I can tell you, um, when you do something like that and you're helping others for their benefit and you really get nothing out of it, um, yourself, there's something energizing about that and gives you a meaning and passion inside of, of all of that. So those are probably some things that I, I can think of, uh, that, uh, mean a lot to me.
1: Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, And just a final question. Is there anything that you've read or listened to lately that has inspired you and you want to share?
0: Good question. Um, Again, these are the hard ones for me. Uh, So lately, um, you know, I'll come back to one thing I mentioned before at the very beginning of all of this, of this interview, which has been very fun, by the way, um, is, is, Um, A a colleague of mine, Ryan Weeks, who's the CISO at a company called Datto, a publicly traded company, um, has really been parading that idea of like an assumed breach mentality and what does cyber resilience look like and really describing that really, really well. And I've really taken hold of that as well with Ryan um, and understanding, you know. It truly, I think this age of breaches has taught us, if there's one thing we need to know, it is the soon breach mentality is real. And therefore we should be talking about cyber resilience. It's less about cyber security, so to speak, and more about what does resilience look like and not just resilience to prevent the attack, but resilience to recover and restore from an attack when it happens. Um, So maybe that'd be the big thing I'd point out that very recently has been very impactful to me.
1: Okay, uh, thank you, thank you for that. And you know, let me take this opportunity to thank you for taking the time uh, and joining me in this episode of Seeds of Insiders. It has been a pleasure talking with you Wes and hopefully we could have many more conversations in the future and maybe even at some point in time meet in person, although that seems a bit unlikely now, but at some point I think this could happen.
0: I agree. Ben, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Same. Thank you.